welcome to the Conscious Thinking Podcast from the Conscious Advertising Network. This is next in the series of thought-provoking sessions where today we are discussing a year of misinformation. Obviously, lots to talk about. I'm your host, Sunu Singh from Creative Salon. And with me, I have Debashi Pandit, Senior VP of International Business and Head of Multi- Multicultural Business Sky Media, Dino Myers Lamte, the founder and CEO of The Barbershop, and entrepreneur Cindy Gallup, who needs very, very little introduction. She's a CEO and founder of Make Love Not Born. Thank you very much, all of you, for joining us. Um, now, lies, propaganda, fake news, big, big, big challenge for our age. In fact, um, for every fact, there's a counterfact. And all these counterfacts and facts look so identical online, so confusing to most of us. Cindy, can I just start with you, especially sitting in the US, you're joining us from New York, thank you for that, is what responsibility do you think our industry um, have? And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, caveat it a little bit. Um, you know, when Trump first tweeted those premature claims of victory, I saw only a few brands that were bold enough to sort of put their hands up, remind people to keep an eye out for misinformation and that the, the present lies are a threat to the country. And they were Ryanair and a frozen steak company called Steak Um, uh, I think the name was. Steak Um. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and um, I'm, I'm just wondering, as an industry, what responsibility do we have on our shoulders? I absolutely believe that we have a responsibility, but I don't mean we as in the full collective we. Um, I mean we as in the people within our industry who have the most power to take a stand, which is the, the clients, the brands. And they absolutely need to withdraw their support, by which I mean their advertising, their financial support, from those platforms that deliberately perpetuate misinformation. And that applies to not only the far-right media platforms where ads often get served, not necessarily, by the way, with the brand, the marketer, knowing that that is going on, but also um, very perturbing platforms like Facebook, because it's only when the brands in our industry make that stand and withdraw that support that any change will happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I always count the minutes and the seconds to when we can use the, the F word, Facebook. Obviously, you've just literally launched into it. But I'm, I'm going, uh, Dino, I'll come to you. You know, uh, as, as Cindy says, so it's, it's not just a pandemic. It's not just Trump. Uh, in the UK, we also have Brexit. Now, all of that has created this sort of whole new level of intricacy, and, and, and you could almost argue that news in itself, and I'm not just talking about Facebook, but news itself, uh, is almost implicit in telling stories without much balance at all. And you uh, work around the whole diversity piece and inclusion piece. How do you think, or what do you tell your brands on how do you sort of manage that kind of disinformation that Cindy just talked about? I mean, it's, it's difficult because so many places are doing it and you have, um, you know, business models that are premised on, you know, <laughs> clickbait, basically, you know, fanning kind of anger and resentment uh, for certain stories. And you have, uh, you know, t- social media that's turbocharging people's likes and reactions. And, you know, you, you have a situation where whether people agree or disagree, um, they're forwarding content on. 
and that is in counting, counting as engagement, that has a currency attached to it, and that attracts advertising pounds. Um, so the whole thing is designed to encourage, um, you know, sh- short, uh, very kind of like uh, truthless, uh, just but, but potentially just entertaining content to many people. But it's it's really quite destructive. Um, so so really, the brands that uh, you know that we work with that are purpose-led brands that are looking for to connect to the right like-minded people. You have to be incredibly careful about where you place your advertising. You have to, you know, you, you have to be, you know, things like programmatic advertising um, have to be treated with massive caution. You have to set so many restrictions about where you're actually going to be seen and where you go. And I think in the wrong hands, um, that that kind of care and attention just doesn't do, it doesn't happen. Um, so we, you know, we prefer to more go uh, and, and cherry pick rather the kind of sites. You know, we look at you know quality news environments and reputable places that we can hold to account ultimately about you know what they have on their site but also the context and the surrounding environment that you're going to be you know held within and i think that's really important it's about thinking about you know who is who is accountable for, the, for it yeah the, the flip side of that i would argue is that we're already living in a world where there is an erosion of trust and and a debauchery. um you know can i bring you in but how do you then even start sort of even talking about being fair, free, trustworthy information. Because also, if you were to say, kind of almost uh, add this to the, the our need, uh, the human need to doom scroll, you know, always wanting bad news. And that's obviously your fertile sort of breeding ground for misinformation and fake news, isn't it? So where do you even start? Yes, and I think this is where the whole uh, trust issue comes into play uh, from well-established media houses. And uh, one of the things that we as Sky do take pride in uh, for Sky News is uh, the accuracy, the impartiality, and the depth of analysis that we provide in terms of our news coverage. And it was very heartening to note that um, in the recent U.S. elections, uh, there was a huge surge in our Sky News viewership from uh, across the pond uh, because people in the U.S. didn't actually trust their own media and they needed a third-party neutral uh, news channel to, um, uh, and, and they were coming to us to get access to information as to whether the results that have been uh, declared, the so-called media uh, declared results were true or not. Uh, and I think that's where a big brand like Sky News um, plays a huge role in society uh, in terms of, you know, weeding out all the false narratives that exist. And fair play, I don't know if you have ever visited uh, any of our news um, on the app or the website, but we've got a feature that actually highlights why you can trust Sky News. And there is a link to uh, a thing called the Trust Project uh, that that we are a member of uh, because we believe in transparency. And uh, obviously, uh, Lord, you have been to Sky and uh, Cindy, so have you. I don't know how long back have you been, but... We have also got this this glass box uh, where, you know, the news readers broadcast their news. And the reason why it's the glass box is because we believe in transparency and no better way to show that where our readers are there in a glass box for all to see. So I think this is where established media houses uh, need to step up the game and, 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 and call it call it false when it is. And uh, 
I think credit is also due because, uh, yes, we've had innumerable um, innumerable, uh, you know, comments being made uh, by certain uh, media personalities across the pond, uh, and and they got the coverage because the news were covering it. And this time around, when it came to the elections, I think there was a blanket ban where all the news channels just blanked out and said, you know, uh, whatever is being said by uh, the current president is not true uh, with regards to you know. Uh, uh, election tampering and tampering of votes and so on and so forth. So that's the kind of attitude that I wish had all broadcasters taken on uh, earlier on, probably in 2015 or 2016, uh, where certain comments were being made. Uh, I think we probably would have been in a better place. Uh, but then I agree with Cindy that it needs to be a level playing field because you cannot have, you know, things like Ofcom regulating us as, as, as a broadcaster, uh, but then uh, other forms of media continue not just existing, but thriving on the back of, uh, as Dino highlighted, you know, fanning uh, the, 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 the extremists at, uh, it, uh, at, to their advantage and getting advertiser money. <laughs> That's interesting. So within this context, Cindy, and especially sitting in the US, you know, the misinformation we've seen so far this entire year, you know, it almost paled in comparison to what happened after the election results started coming in. I mean, that's a really, really difficult position for brands to even start wading into any of those debates as such. I mean, let alone social media platforms who are, by the way, actually are signaling some kind of intent to remove some, you know, some of the falsehoods um, being perpetuated. Uh, well, um, t uh, before I respond to that question specifically, so I just want to highlight something, mm -hmm. which is that everything we are talking about in terms of the mishandling of appalling dissemination of misinformation on every single media and social platform, I guarantee would not be going on if the leadership of those platforms was gender equal or more female than male. Okay, I absolutely guarantee it. And the depressing thing is that, you know, we've all seen that female um, state leaders have led their nations through COVID far more effectively than men. Um, and, and by the way, um, I make a point of ensuring that people know that the reason that that is so has nothing to do with, oh, women are more empathetic and touchy-feely. The reason female leaders have led countries more effectively through COVID is because to even get to that position, a woman has to go through so much shit. Um, the women who lead their nations have gone through sexism, bias, sexual harassment, you know, prejudice in a way that none of the men at the top of those nations have ever had to deal with. Um, and at least when you are a woman prepared to fight that battle, and, and, and you are so well qualified to fight it because of that battle, um, you are elected to that position. Unfortunately, that does not happen in the media world. You know, um, over here in the US, the, the, the gigantic uh, media brands, especially in the um, television um, industry, um, have, have been built by white male cultures rife with sexual harassment that have managed women out of them. That is a huge, huge problem because what we have is a very kind of one-dimensional perspective of how you run a network, what makes money, how you get the numbers. Um, so, um, 
Um, I want to see that change. And and obviously this year, more than ever before, with all of the activism we see around us, there are many more people committed to making that change. Um, But, um, um, and and, and apologies, because I know that I, you know, went off on a bit of a tangent to your original question. Looping back to your question, I just wanted the audience to hear that point of view. Um, Looping back to your question, um, I believe that brands um, need to take a stand um, for their own values, okay? And, and so I'm not suggesting any brand wade into the dialogue, but it is incredibly important, both for consumers and employees of brands, that they know that brand stands for something. Yeah. And trust me, um, in 2020, you cannot afford to go, oh, you know, that's politics, we have nothing to do with it. Everybody has something to do with it because those politics affect the lives of your employees. And, you know, especially um, when we are not seeing the commitment to equality, diversity, inclusion that we should, you know, a brand must take a stand to say that we believe in being a part of creating a more equitable society that welcomes everybody, including the people who make up our consumer base and our employees. So, no, you cannot afford to stay away from the fight. You know, you absolutely need need to identify your role within it. But at the very least, you need to stand up for your values, what you believe in on behalf of your employees and your consumers. Yeah. No, I, I do want to go back to your first point, actually, because I can always trust Cindy to come up with the most sort of fascinating um, uh, point of view on this. And that's quite interesting because what really, and, and Abashi, um, could you come in here? Where, what we're really talking about is how uh, the, the media industry is really... Uh, it has been curated, created by the few. And obviously you sit within Sky Media looking at inclusion as, as that's, that, that's one of your roles. So, you know, it'd be interesting to, 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 uh, to hear your point of view on this. Yeah, so I think um, uh, what, what Cindy has highlighted is, is, is true and everybody knows that. And I think there are efforts being made to address that, right? And, and it's no longer you know, brush it on the carpet and, and forget about it. Um, so one of the things I think this year, especially uh, post, uh, you know, the, the, the unfortunate incidents that happened in the U.S. over the summer with Black Lives Movement, that has actually, that did shine a spotlight. And uh, we've had a lot of companies that have kept quiet or kept silent in the past, take a bold stand, take a public stand and, and, uh, commit to investing uh, money, resources, and energy in in making sure that their own individual organizations, i.e. the media organizations, are are being truly uh, diverse and and being reflective of the community that uh, they are working in and representing. So I think that's a huge change. I mean, I, I didn't see that happening so quickly, uh, so you know, I've been I've been on this for the past almost two decades. You know that for me uh, more than anyone else. But I hand on my heart the the rapid pace with which the developments have happened over the past six months has actually, and the pace with which it has developed completely, you know, is overshadows the progress that we have made in the past nineteen years. I see. I think and and. Uh, that's that's a huge standout point. Yeah. And closer to home, we've also got a new 
a role created for the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Sky, whose, uh, whose remit, uh, the role has just been uh, announced, you know, the person was taken on. And we are very much looking forward to it. So uh, come the new year, I'm sure there's going to be a huge change within our organization. And I guess uh, other organizations will, will follow suit. Yeah. So staying on the same point, Dina, can I come to you? You know, the one thing that we did see with the Black Lives Matter protest this summer was also this sort of feeding frenzy for those looking to distort and reframe the narrative, whether it was about racial justice, police violence and all of that. And obviously, you know, through the lens of inclusion diversity that you work through, do you think that we need to almost reframe the conversation of misinformation also through that lens to try and get get some kind of balances that are right? Um, I mean, in terms of, I, I'm not too sure that, you know, we've had complete success at reframing the conversation. You know, we've had a lot of uh, awareness of the issue when it comes to the subject of diversity. Um, you know, there's there's much more kind of openness to take the steps that are necessary to make things a little bit more transparent, open the door into, you know, or behind a curtain about, you know, who is in those key influential decision-making positions, for example. And what we're all recognizing is it's in, in incredibly unrepresentative of, of, of society and culture, but also more importantly, the global world and the customers that we are uh, striving to serve. And I think that, um, you know, um, any forward-thinking company knows that, you know, I mean, a lot of the city are now investing off the back of, you know, more diversity demands. It's becoming a real thing where uh, there's a cost attached to not doing it. And I think that's probably motivating some people that have been reluctant to do it for quite some time. But when we talk about, in terms of the extent of the problem, we talked about, you know, the media industry, for example. Well, actually, I think that, you know, that the really big surprising step is within the marketing industry in terms of client and brand side, you know, we don't even know the statistics at the moment you know let alone to be able to comment on you know how diverse or not diverse, undiverse uh, the, the, the brand side is so you know it shows just how far we have to go but um but when it comes into misinformation i think it's um it's a similar thing i mean yeah, misinformation is such a big subject it's changing the whole way we communicate and connect as a society it's, it's changing politics it's changing business it's changing everything so it's it's a global massive political issue that needs collaboration collaboration regulation um it needs everything coming together um it just doesn't need uh, it, it can't be just brands alone solving the problem or all the all the you know the advertising agencies for example everyone's got to realize that society's been broken by this uh you know this 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 terrible crisis of misinformation Indeed. But however, I, I do want to understand that if, um, as, as Cindy, you, you almost sort of alluded to, that the, the Facebooks of the world have always become this kind of megaphone for anarchy uh, in some shape or form. So for brands, for businesses, for the advertising industry, do we need to agree on kind of new rules of interaction with them, for instance? Um, to, um, I believe we absolutely do. But, but quite honestly, um, so, you know, um, the issue with everything we're talking about um, is that, you know, it's not about what we say, it's about what we do. And I don't see any change in behavior until, quite frankly, um, there is more diverse representation at the top of those platforms and at the top of the companies engaging with them. And I make that point because, first of all, Facebook, you know, 
talks again and again and again and has done for years about its commitment to diversity. There is not one single black person on the executive leadership team at Facebook. That is not a commitment to diversity. And as long as there is not a single black person on the executive leadership team, we do not have Facebook approaching tackling racism on its platform and, and the appropriate dissemination of information pertaining to that in the right kind of way. And, you know, I want to... Um, just highlight how much chief diversity officers are not solving this problem. Yeah. Because, you know, those that brilliant black and brown talent being recruited to be the chief diversity officer, they don't want to be the bloody chief diversity officer. They want to be the CEO and the COO. They're not being given that opportunity. And, um, you know, it's actually, it's very simple to change all of this. But but our our clients and our agencies and media companies are not doing it. And, and I'll give you one very practical example, because I get some version of this call all the time, okay? Very senior person in, in, in our industry, won't name names, but, you know, um, globally known senior marketer, called me up and said, Cindy, I've got this really big, like, global CMO role. I want to hire a black woman. Who do you know? Okay. And, and as I take you through this conversation, think about this as, you know, the, the giant news organization going, we need to hire a, like, you know, a black female news editor. We need to hire a, a black female newsreader. Okay. So what I said was, it doesn't work like that. Okay. You have to do four things if you genuinely want to hire a black woman. Number one, you have to re-engineer your job description. Mm. Because I read that job description when you post it on LinkedIn. You wrote that job description to appeal to a white man. And a demonstration is that in the comment thread below it on LinkedIn is a long stream of white men recommending either themselves or other white men. Okay. And, and to give you an example of what I mean, because I won't get brand specific. In this job description, this white man had written, you will have a creative track record that makes us all jealous. And I went, no, they won't. Because if you want a black woman, she has never been promoted into the position where she can do that. You have to rewrite it to say, this is where you bring all your creativity and you can finally let it rip the way you've always wanted. Number one, okay, range their job description. Number two, I said, rebrief your recruiters. Because I know you've briefed them to find somebody currently operating at the same level as a job. Don't do that. Brief them to recruit black talent one, two, three levels down. Because I guarantee that black talent will do a far better job because of all the barriers they've had to battle to even get to two levels down versus the white men who never had to contend with any of that to get there. Number three, re-engineer interview process. White men interviewing other white men are actively looking for reasons to hire those white men. They start with positivity. White men interviewing the rest of us start from negativity. They are actively looking for reasons not to hire us. They look for red flags. Re-engineer your, your interview process. And number four, last point, re-engineer your working environment. Because if you invite a black female candidate in and she sees, as she will, that your company is full of white men, she's going to go, why the hell would I put myself in there? I know what's going to happen. And it's very easy to re-engineer your work environment, just promote all that brilliant black talent that's been held down for years, promote them to their rightful positions, lo and behold, black talent friendly environment. And, and I'm making those very practical points very specifically because this is what is not happening in every brand marketing company, in every big media company, in every company period. And until we have that diverse leadership who then brings their lens to bear on the distribution of information and news, none of this will change. Indeed. And that, you say, once those sort of structures are in place, that is what would help build that kind of public resilience against mis misinformation. That's, that's because, because they will bring a completely different lens 
to the white male one that is currently not doing the job it should. Indeed. So the last question, both for you, uh, Dino and, and um, Debashi, is, as Cindy says, if the future of marketing, so bringing back to the future of marketing, is the trust economy within the context of what just Cindy has said and, and when brands are thinking about what is our relationship with consumers, how much do we care, what kind of relationship do we want uh, to have and privacy being part of it and uh, we need to think where we're spending our money, how do you then go about building that that resilience against misinformation. Debashi, you go first. Well, I think first and foremost, you've got to be confident and fearless uh, because only when you have those factors working in your favor and knowing that what you're doing is, is for the greater good. Because somewhat may, I mean, there are examples, in fact, uh, there, there is a beautiful example of, a, of an ad that was recently done in India uh, celebrating uh, different religious, uh, you know, festivals. Uh, and it, it was done by a big conglomerate. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, because of the social media uproar that happened, uh, they had to pull that ad off. They should never have pulled it. They should not have pulled it. Yeah. The- you know what I'm talking about. So, I, so, I know exactly what, yeah. This is, this is exactly where I'm coming from. So what does that demonstrate? That demonstrates that... Yes, as a marketeer, you, you, you were confident, you were sure, but you know what? You got nervous at the end. So this is like, you know, doing the best at stage rehearsal and dress rehearsal, but failing at the actual show, you know, that shouldn't be the case. So if you've got faith and conviction and belief uh, that your idea is powerful, uh, that will make a true difference to society, go with it. And and don't back away because there would be people who would be trying to knock your confidence or knock that campaign off, but you've got to have that belief and conviction. So as far as I'm concerned, two words, fearless and conviction. Yeah, hold your nerve. Dino, you get the last word. I I think the first thing is you've got to start looking internally at what your culture and what your team are and how diverse uh, your company is. Um, You know, it starts with the values from within and then you've got to let them shine out and your purpose and let that be the driving force behind what you do, who you work with. So your suppliers, your your agencies, but also that kind of AAA kind of, you know, accountability, circle of accountability in terms of, you know, the recruiters, as Cindy mentioned, and um, and your, your, your other partners, the research agencies you work with, everyone has a role to play and you've got to make sure that you know, you're, you're almost like B Corp about it in terms of, you know, making sure that every part of your relationships and every part of what you do as a business are living by the same values that you do. And then you can extend that to your customers. And and I think that when you, you do advertising in media, uh, we've got to get more sophisticated and think beyond just chasing audiences and numbers and start to think about, you know, contextual placements as well, the value of contextual placements. Think about more than just grabbing attention and think about, you know, actual kind of, you know, intent-based targeting. So as an advertiser, you've got to support those new models that um, that don't just chase the you know the most for the least uh, amount of money, um, and and start supporting different models to fund better journalism that can be held to account ultimately. Brilliant. When you do have guests like Cindy Gallup, Dubashi Pandit, and Dina Myers Lamptey, uh, you have to expect some kind of fireworks. So thank you so much to all three of you for joining on this podcast and a huge thank you to our friends, uh, Marshall Street Editors and The Nerve as well. Thank you, listeners, and keep listening. Bye-bye, everyone.